0: 1994年11月20日
1: Everyone and welcome to episode eight of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. I am George Thompson. With me, I have Sarah Parkin and uh, David Forrest. And returning to the podcast after a very successful guest stint in episode seven, it is our resident combat sports fan, Zoe Boyd. Zoe, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, thank you. How are you? We are
1: we are good. I mean, we're about as uh, about as well as we were um, about an hour ago when we recorded episode seven. But uh, <laughs> that's the, a peek behind I, the veil
2: there. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, I've now, it's got late enough in the evening that I've now switched from having a cup of normal tea to a cup of decaf tea yes, and uh, it's <laughs> immense and decaf tea continues to disappoint me so i'm putting out a call ahead of doing the plugs at the end of the episode but um, if anybody does want to recommend me a decaf black tea that doesn't taste like shit i would be really grateful <laughs> um, what,
1: what a great way to start the episode <laughs> yeah it's
2: all <laughs> it will improve yes. the quality of future podcasts and uh,
1: so the reason the reason we have zoe on the podcast is because as we've said in episode 7 um uh rather nightmarishly i think i'm the one with the most combat sports experience out of the regular three hosts and this is not a situation that can be allowed to to stand so That's because
2: you did taekwondo at school
1: well yeah i did, I did for <laughs> three years of taekwondo and i was fucking shit so um <laughs> so on this episode we are going to be talking about um the remaining two fights in uh what you may regard as the, uh, the combat sports um portion of big egg wrestling universe so uh we have a kickboxing match and the shoot boxing match, which are two distinct but related uh, related sports. So uh, if you want to uh, hear a little bit more about uh, uh, kickboxing and shoot boxing, we uh, did a bit on uh, that in episode seven. So hopefully you will have already listened to that. Uh but uh, if not then um yeah we'll, we'll just we'll just do the fights in turn I think. So the kickboxing match is a uh, match number 5 on the show. It's uh, it's appearing quite early. It's not been a, a lot of wrestling so far. Uh so this pits um Kumiko Mikawa who is a regular member of the AJW wrestling roster uh, against uh, Sugar Miyuki. So uh, Sarah take us away with the uh, the uh, context for this one. Yeah.
2: Okay, so just about track. So we talked a bit um, last time about how there's this quite uneasy relationship between pro wrestling slash Joshi slash Pura, whatever you're calling it, um, and the kind of legitimate um, forms of, of martial arts. And there's always been a bit of a there was a bit of a belief that maybe you needed some of that legit credit in order to get pro wrestling over as a kind of uh, as a as an art form because as an art form it depends on being presented as a sport um i think that's definitely opened up but i think it was definitely an, a, an understanding at the time so in the context of there being um an ajw essentially having a martial arts title that they don't do very much with at all um but when they do they seem to kind of you know they keep it around for a little while just during this point in the early 90s really when um, where, when kind of she is in a really odd place, as we kind of talked about in previous episodes. Um, the the kind of the, the the martial arts that end up on this card are things that are actually kind of quite, you know, they're quite homegrown actually in the sense of it being Japan. So um, the word kickboxing is a kind of a Japanese sort of anglicism that was kind of ca- that was coined by um, Osama Noguchi, who was a boxing promoter who actually started kind of doing the first kickboxing um, matches in, in Japan in the 60s. Um, so the the word was then later adopted in the, the US as well. Um, and this is the point where I'm going entirely from online sources, because I don't know much about this myself. So please, Zoe, correct me, <laughs> mind, I'm wrong. Um, but this is kind of kickboxing starts out as a kind of a mix of karate and mai tai. And It's developed by, um, so I suppose the the name to know here is um, Tatsuo Yamada, um, who had done karate but wanted to develop a kind of full contact rules version and then got interested in Mai Tai as a result. Um, So the sport developed in kind of the early to mid-60s, but it caught on really well. So as we talked about last episode, um, it actually was really popular on kind of mainstream TV in the 70s, Um, disappeared in the 80s and then had just started coming back in sort of the early 90s. Um, did you
0: uh, did your research show why it disappeared in the eighties?
2: No, please tell me. <laughs>
0: tell me. Anything. So well. So so. As with a lot of martial arts, this is based on a lot of hearsay. But basically, in the eighties. Well, Muay Thai, which is is Thai kickboxing, which has been a consistent sport in Thailand for a, about 120 years now. Uh, and the guys there are very, very good at what they do. And they heard about this kickboxing thing in Japan. They were like, well, why don't we send some guys over and see how they do? And they just wrecked the Japanese fighters' shit, just absolutely destroyed, as was the case with with and American fighters as well when they went over to America, because American kickboxing didn't allow leg kicks because... I don't know why, actually. They just thought that they weren't very effective. Well, yeah. No, Look <laughs> As in kicks to the legs, not kicks with the legs.
2: Right, okay, that makes more
0: sense. <laughs> I <I'm> not <laughs> kicking people with my elbow, personally. <laughs> <laughs> the but the, <laughs> but kicking people in the legs is a big part of Thai fighting, and that's what happened in Japan and in America, was that the Thai fighters would come in, and the, the American and Japanese fighters would think, this is easy, all, all he's doing is kicking me in the legs. I can deal with that. And then three rounds later, they couldn't stand. And... It's just, it, and the, so the the theory is that the Japanese audience got tired of seeing all their fighters lose. Basically,
2: wow. I mean, from what I could from what I could gather, it did look like there was a it was a regular fixture to have kind of Japanese kickboxers against Maikai um, like mop boxers, but it potentially make. It makes more sense in the context of this was becoming a national disgrace and they had to nip it in the bud when things it's, were getting really it's, it's, serious. It's, it's,
1: it's the most heated Japan versus Thailand confrontation than that uh, Women's World Kabaddi Championship match that we uh, watched in the stream a few months ago. I
2: mean, Kabaddi is, is brutal. It, but, it, it, really,
1: it really fucking is, yeah. Kickboxing is, personally, from my perspective, I find it much more interesting than regular boxing, Um, essentially because you... you, you do punching and kicking in this and uh yeah the issue with the leg kicks is really interesting because if there's one thing we know from uh uh, you know, the involvement of the likes of uh, UFC legend Art Jimerson and other boxers who uh, competed in early UFCs. Boxers are absolutely shit at defending against leg kicks. And uh, you also, you also see this in the notorious Muhammad Ali-Antonio uh, Inoki fight <laughs> in 1976, where Ali landed, I think, five punches over 15 rounds on Inoki because Inoki just spent the whole fight on his back like a crab. And Inoki <laughs> n- nailed about 60 leg kicks. That actually, like, fucked Ali's legs up. Like, Quite severely to the point where he had like blood clots. So imagine like,
3: doing that in the pub, like at a pub fight <laughs> or something. An a crab technique, just kicking them in the legs. What?
1: <laughs> I would not want to like put my hands on the floor of your average pub, <laughs> like detritus <laughs> and like cigarette butts and like empty packets of Smith's scampy fries.
0: But just to clarify, that's the only thing stopping you from using crab style in a street fight. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um So yeah, I I always and if you think of. Um, Things like uh, Nobuhiko Takada shooting on Trevor Burbick in UWFI, just kicking him in the legs, and Trevor Burbick was like, well, I don't know what to do about this, so I guess I'm going to just leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, kickboxing is, um, is the, uh, the uh, combat sport that we're going to be seeing in this match. But as far as the competitors go, Sarah, so, can you tell us a little bit about Kumiko Maikawa and uh, Shugami Yuki in whatever order you see fit?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm going to mention Sugamiyuki first, basically because I have a bit less... On her, I think so. Mekawa um, kind of went on to have um, quite a long career in in pro wrestling and in in, in AJW, But um, Sugar Miyuki, um, so who you will also find more commonly under her actual name, which is Najima Miyuki. Um, her official record is one and one, apparently, from what I can make out. But it's generally agreed to be bollocks because there's a, well, because there's a lot of tape evidence and things of actual fights that she had. Um, so she 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 started out in shoot boxing and had moved into boxing in in 1995, just after this show, actually. Um, but so that but that was actually years before um women's boxing was was recognised by the JBC. So. Um, in 1997, she won the IWBF Minimum Weight title. And I love that minimum weight is a thing. Um, and if I... ever a
3: title was made for me, the
2: Minimum <laughs> Weight title.
1: <laughs> Burrito Asari, it's your time to shine.
2: By, by winning that title, she became Japan's first world champion, uh, actually. Um, so from from the people writing about her, and everything that I could kind of find online was written in kind of Retrospect, um, but she's relatively early in her career at the point of this show. She is, however, regarded as being like really influential in terms of what she did after that and how she kind of affected women. You know, women's combat sports, but especially kind of women's boxing in Japan. She's kind of one of the one of the original kind of leading lights of that. Um I don't know. Did uh, did anybody else know anything about her at all before this fight? I, I got a record as eleven and one with four knockouts. I mean, that's that, more that, likely. Yeah, that
1: that's better. They just missed a one-out.
2: That's probably what
3: really <laughs> happened. Yeah, I, it's weird she doesn't have a box rec, which is like the boxing equivalent of the cage match, which is strange. Mm. But um, especially for someone with an 11-1 record who's seen a sort of influential Japanese boxing, you think someone would have...
1: I really want to know if the reviews on if if, the, if that's the boxing equivalent of cage match. I want to know if it's got the reviews uh, like on cage match. I can imagine like some really obscure Japanese boxer from the fifties who no one has ever seen fight being rated above like Muhammad Ali. From- <laughs> <laughs>
2: so I will I will publish when I publish the show notes for this episode to go out on on the website along with everything else I will I will publish my sources such as I have found on Sugar Miyuki because I would really like to know if anybody has anything better or perhaps if there's actually just a lot out there that's maybe just all Japanese language and that I couldn't find or something that like is that. probably more likely I, I think it is <laughs> I would actually really like to know quite a bit more about her, to be honest, because she seems, and especially when she gets into the match as well, she seems like quite a character. I get the impression that, you know, she's- quite, Oh yeah, we, we, you know, we'll
1: talk about her costume. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is wonderful and baffling in equal measure.
2: Yeah, she's the one where I really couldn't find too much about her, but then Kumiko Mikawa was around for quite a long time, so mm. she's much easier to kind of to kind of research. Um, so she had she debuted in 1991, so she's sort of three years into her career by the time we get to this show. Um, so she'd had the junior championship in um, nineteen ninety two and into nineteen ninety three. So she was someone who they kind of they saw something in, and they were going to do something with her. But she was sort of super early in career, and they she hadn't really done much else. So the year after Big Egg, she became a Japanese tag champion with Chaparita Asari, who is beloved of the who is beloved of the Purapuri podcast anyway. Um, but Japanese tag champs is not it, that's not even your primary that's like that's like
1: the current of the All Asia belts in uh, in uh, all Japan.
2: Yeah, so it's a, so these are all kind of they're all the kind of the undercard titles that you you give people so they've got something to fight for in the undercard really. Um but eventually so she did become a a, a tag champion with Tomoko Watanabe in in 1997. And then as a sign of how the business goes in the late 90s and early 2000s they then get those belts back for a run in 1999 and in 2003. So in in ordinary times, AJW would have had her retire long before it got to that point. But kind of round about the mid 90s, the mandatory retirement age of 26 is completely removed, because they they realised that basically, they don't have the churn of talent to replace them anymore. So they just can't end up having to keep people around. And in some ways, you can see so Kumiko Mikawa is one of those people who everybody leaves around her until gradually she becomes like the top woman in the promotion. Yeah, yeah, she she very much
1: she very much seems like someone who benefited a lot from being an AJW loyalist.
2: Yeah, yeah, 100%. So in um, in 2005 she finally wins the red belt. She finally becomes the the, the top champion in the company. Um and then she drops that belt in her retirement match. Now she drops it to uh, one Nanai Takahashi, who seems to have done okay for herself ever since. But um, that's actually the last match that was ever contested for the red belt. So yeah. the last person, the last person to to lose or defend um, the kind of the most prestigious title in the history of, of Joshi wrestling was Kumiko Mikawa. Um But that's that's kind of all long in the future at this point. Um round about her retirement, she went into something that we briefly mentioned um in last episode, which was um an it was Smack Girl. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> What was
1: Smack Girl, Sarah? Uh,
2: it was a it, it was a, a women's kind of MMA promotion. Um she had a few she had a couple of fights there in 2005 and 2006 um where she lost and stop me if you've heard the names, she lost to Keiko Tamai and Tara La Rosa. Um
0: uh, any of those names no. mean anything? Tara La Rosa, uh, I know uh, as as a one of the pioneers of women's MMA solid name this is back in the time nobody in women's MMA gets a good record because they're all kind of learning from each other as they yeah. fight so they'll they, you know they'll they'll pick up a few wins and they'll lose to somebody and then they'll go away and be like shit I haven't really heard that before because so few gyms are actually accepting women mm. to train anyway so they have a real like disadvantage going on. So a lot of the the real pioneers, it's pretty much just Gina Carano who 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 wins a lot and becomes the first star, and then it's uh, Cyborg uh, Chris Cyborg, whose name I've forgotten. Um, Justino, yeah, yes, yeah, Chris, Chris Christian Justino. Um, but yeah, it's it's. There's just this this big pool of really really talented women fighters, including Tara La Rosa, who never get really the credit that they are due because they never develop these kind of big records and become dominant.
2: Are the fights kind of interesting because of that though? Because they're all kind of doing things that are relatively new and untested, and it's oh yeah, they're
0: garbage. It's great. <laughs> like being nice, like. When you get to top level combat sports quite often it can get quite dull because the you know they're, they're, it's like that kind of mental chess match thing when you get people who don't really know what they're doing or, or know enough to think that they know loads but they actually don't know much oh it's entertaining oh yeah it, it's the same it with it, every I,
1: sport yeah it's like if you look at the um the nowadays like world chess championship matches of absolute dog shit um, because like the, they they know so much about chess like every match will be a draw, and then they'll go to like uh, rapid games, and then Magnus Castle will, will win because he's like incredibly good at that. Like if you if you make them play it under a time limit, it's like all right, you got three minutes each rather than like an hour and a half, and like then you'll see some fireworks because like they'll be just like <laughs> chucking pieces all over the board and uh, and stuff like that and just doing absolutely mad shit. So uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's, you know that's a uh, mental chess and your actual chess have uh, quite a lot in common.
2: So to give you an idea of. Um... I don't want to turn this into an, oh, isn't Kumiko Mikawa, you know, a, a kind of a, a long star. I don't want to make this sound like I'm just dumping on her, given what, what, what her career goes on to become. But. I'll,
3: I'll, I'll send up the New Jack theme for you to, <laughs> to, to shoot shit over. Cut my fucking music. <laughs>
2: In the context of my research. I found a website that was showing an archived version of a GeoCities article from 2003. Hell yeah! Somewhere on GeoCities.
1: Real internet hauntology, this. Oh, yeah.
2: And uh, so I, So this was, um, I think it was archive.org or something but um, the, that was showing it. But there, again, there isn't a huge amount about her. There's just, um, but at least she does have like a, a Wikipedia entry and things like that. Um, I got there and... This article from 2003 that someone had written about her said she's clearly badass as hell when given the opportunity um, and then eventually said is reaching that phase-out age of yesteryear but with Zenjo's current state it is hard to determine where she'll end up <laughs> which to me seems like an acceptance of well they're running out of people so they might push her. Like, which um, is- and, and they did. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And that sounds quite sad when you describe it as that, but it wasn't, you know, she she's not at that stage yet by the time we get to, by the time we get Big Egg. Um,
1: I, I'm actually quite surprised that um, her performance in this fight didn't give her more of a push. Because if you think about, like, um, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura has a couple of good results in uh in Pride Against various Gracie Failsons and suddenly Inoki's put the IWGP heavyweight championship on him. You know, like um there are instances in which good performances in uh in MMA have um have done something for someone to push in wrestling. And the opposite Bob Bob Sap um vacating said I W G P title after losing a K one fight to Jerome Labana, which isn't even fucking wrestling. So uh well,
2: I- i actually think that they might have been trying to make her a bit more of a a shooty type star because when you look at what she was doing just kind of before this and around this she was also doing some jw she was also doing some jwp shows and eventually she did a bit in llpw as well where shinoba kandori kind of always pushed a bit more of a shooty type of style yeah so I, i think that there was probably a potential to try and make her that and um, remember we were talking about the martial arts title when they started trying to resurrect that in 1995, not long after Big Egg, um, Howard is one of the people who's in that title match. So I think she's someone that they were planning on doing something with, but then as they kind of stopped bothering with that kind of martial arts type of style, I think it just kind of she drifted into doing some of them all the kind of the mainstream. And then she gets into her kind of her mid-card tag runs. Yeah. I mean I, mean,
1: I mean, this, the, the, the two fights we're describing on this episode kind of feel like they were uh, functioning as a soft launch for a sort of uh, shoot style division that never re- really materialized. I say shoot style. Yeah. These, that's a, that's a type of wrestling as opposed to a type of um, type of uh, combat sport, but you, you know, you know, the sort of thing I mean. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, so I mean, cage match actually lists her background as being in karate. Um, When you look at kicks are kind of a, a really strong part of her resume, even then when she goes on and has sort of non martial artsy type matches later on as well. So an ax kick was one of her finishes, yeah. for example. Um, So she, I think she's someone who always tried to work that kind of more, grounded style but she's very early in her career at this point yeah. and it seems like she's someone that they think is on the cusp of something.
1: Yeah I mean um, yeah I mean you see her in her gi at, at, the, um, at the the uh, pre-match promos. It's actually really funny if you don't know um, which of these women is the kickboxer uh, and then you see Sugar Miyuki's uh, promo like she could not more obviously be a kickboxer if she tried. Like Let's let's talk about this outfit. This is so fucking good. It's like she's got baggy shorts with like these big gloves. And then for some reason, like just a Stars and Stripes motif, she's she's come dressed as Don Fry. It's like it's incredibly <laughs> strange. It's, it, I, I mean, I'm such a big mark for um um. There was like a Florida Express in Dragon Gate, where it's just these like Japanese guys pretending to be American while clearly not being American. Like the the waiter from the American America Town restaurant in that Simpsons episode. Don't ask me; I don't know anything. I'm product of American education system. I also build poor quality (laughs) electronics. So yeah, it's very. I don't know why she is dressed like this, but it absolutely rules, and I love it.
2: I, I actually really like the way that she comes across. Obviously I, I, I don't understand the promos, but I think she she seems like she's happy to be there. I very much get the impression that she's excited about what
1: Yeah, she she's is. quite charismatic. Like um uh it's the spectacle for this is like there's certainly a lot more spectacle to the uh, to the entrances than we have with the amateur wrestling, which was very much like Presented as you would have at the Olympics. They come out with the trainers. They've got the leotards with their, their country's flag on and so on and so forth. Whereas this, we've got uh, separate entrances for both competitors. Uh, Muki comes out in this red robe with a trainer in a second. Uh, I cannot imagine she'll have ever fought in front of a crowd this size up until, up until this point and certainly not walked down such a long ramp. <laughs> it absolutely ages. Such
2: a long walk.
1: Yeah. I
3: think it was Cabrada said that if you cut out all of the interviews and the walks down the ramp, I'll basically just watch bell to bell. It's four hours. <laughs> yeah.
1: Would <laughs> you still it's long? A
3: ten and yeah. a half hour show, yeah. If it's a ten and a half hour show. This is just short. Yeah. I think. Um, I
1: think you need the breaks between matches, though. Like yeah. this is why I can't watch PWG DVDs because also I can't watch PWG DVDs because they come out about two years after the uh, event actually takes place. But because um, it's just match, 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 match. You're like fuck. Like just give me some time to like uh, decompress. You know.
3: I just want to watch someone get a giant novelty blanket, blank checkbook and pen. Like that's what I want.
1: I mean, that is the sort of prizes you do get on this show. So, uh...
3: yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, I, I agree. Like the big ramp and stuff like that, I I, I absolutely love. It. it gives it that uh, bit of razzle dazzle, and particularly more razzle dazzle here than in the amateur matches. Or, or, as me and my future wife, Donna Splint, would say, a bit of je ne sais quoi, about the
1: whole
3: situation.
2: <laughs>
1: the.
3: Uh
2: enjoy that actually there's a lot of sort of 80s sacks
1: in the music. Oh the porno sacks that (laughs) Michael, this is like the stock music. I think a few people come out to this theme on the show but (laughs) it's very Val Venus Her outfit's great, she's got these big red gloves and like her top, the most the motif on her top is a very background person in a Mr. Motivator video um, vibe to it,
0: like just with Oh, so is this this her her sports yeah, bra yeah, that no. looks like the looks like the cover of every school bus chairs that I've ever been on. <laughs>
1: like. Just a bit of chewing gum stuck to the back. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. So yeah, yeah, more 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 razzmatazz than uh, uh, than the previous. So uh, this is contested under five two minute rounds. Um, two minutes really isn't a lot. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm used to UFC, which has five minute rounds. I like, uh, it, like, it seems quite stuck start, albeit not not nearly as much as the amateur wrestling challenge with the ref blowing his whistle every two seconds. But, um, uh, yeah, so five, five, two minute rounds here. And, uh, the, we have, uh, judges as well. And, uh, David, I believe you have the, the judges scores, uh, that you found.
3: Yes, I do. too. Well, we'll, we'll,
1: we'll get to that at the end of the match. Um, once we, uh, once we, uh, Do a rundown. So, I mean, there's not very much point to going through this spot by spot like you would a wrestling match. I mean, this this podcast (laughs) hasn't been uh, uh, about that anyway. But uh, in terms of the the uh, the first round, um, we. I
3: I, I would say you're missing one really critical thing about this match. I absolutely love. Oh, I. My God, the height and reach advantage. Yeah, I was about about to say
0: this. Oh God, yeah. Like, it's frustrating the whole time. <laughs>
3: like, that, th- this is, like, approaching Daiju Takase versus Emmanuel Yarborough levels of ludicrously-sized <laughs> competitors against each other. You, you, yeah, like, it's just, she can't do anything. Lassie's a tree. She just swings at her, like, she can't do anything. She's too far away. It's It's, it's useless.
2: If you're booking this, if you're booking a, a fight for a kickboxing show, do you think that, would you, would that be a reason just not to book this fight because they'd be so physically mismatched?
3: Well, I would argue yeah. it's a reason oh. to
2: book the fight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and here we have the difference between most matchmakers and Japanese matchmakers <laughs> because, yes, yeah, absolutely, you should not book that fight if, if they're different weight classes, certainly, Um but also, like it's it's going to be a mismatch. It's going to be less entertaining because throughout the entire fight, all that Mekawa has to do is stick her arms out like a zombie and lean back, and then and then a bunch of punches go whiffing by her. But in J- in Japan, they do tend to like that kind oh, yeah. of. They do match, not give yeah. the
1: slightest fuck about weight classes. like, And this is why you had like <laughs> Sakuraba having to fight like Rampage Jackson or uh, people who are him <laughs> by about 60 pounds or the aforementioned Daijutsakase Mani Yabra fight where one of the fighters is literally four or five times the weight of the other. So,
0: like... It's so bizarre. like The amount of really talented Japanese fighters, including Sakuraba, who have been thrown away because Japanese MMA promotions have been like, we need to prove that this little guy can beat this giant gigantic behemoth oh no he's been turned into a paste <laughs> who could have foreseen and this, this? find
1: when it was hoist gracie at ufc one showing that if you know jiu-jitsu you can take down people much bigger than you who aren't schooled in jiu-jitsu but the problem is when you're fighting someone bigger who also has the same
0: skill set as you yeah work. and in ufc like half of the people in the early UFCs has got their black belts from a fucking truck stop <laughs> like it's not it's not the same <laughs> this
1: is so this is so this is so bizarre like i, I absolutely it's one of these what i can't tell is like is Mikawa tall or is is Miyuki short? Like uh, I think
2: I think both are true. Oh, in fact, actually, no. I did look this up. I think Mikawa's is only five five. I think wow, Miyuki okay. just really really short. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mikawa is five five. In
3: terms of Joshi, that's pretty much a great cavalry. So <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of quite small
2: people in Joshi. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say. I mean, you can get the logic of it because Sugar's obviously she's trying to sort of bounce around and try and get in under and things yeah. like you know she's doing probably the only thing that you could do to take on someone who's that much bigger. yeah I mean you know, I I, that you can sort of crawl through their legs aside
1: yeah I mean I'll say this for the amateur yeah. wrestling fights like like at least they had weight classes you had like a fifty kilogram one and the sixty five kilogram one and then you didn't have like Doris Blind fighting Miyu Yamamoto <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at the end like you know. um, so yeah, I mean basically that's the story of the first round of this. You've got Makawa bothers Miyuki with kicks and she doesn't really have to um raise her leg that far to try a head kick and there is uh, some sort of some sort of clinch into well it it kind of it ended up being a takedown but I think that's just because someone lost
0: their footing. We're not quite in the sh- there, Well, it's a like yeah, it's a weird throw and and I don't know what the rules are because in in, kick, in the kickboxing I know um, at least Glory rules you're not allowed to throw. It's it's yeah, a I'm, I'm it's pretty, a penalty. I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty
1: sure that's what it is here, but I don't know if there was a a penalty involved. I mean, uh, I was I was I was sort of telling Sarah about like the. Uh, Clinches are a big thing in boxing. Like Audley Harrison's fights were principally comprised of them. But um, Yeah, Floyd Mayweather yeah, exactly, as well. Like, like you yeah. uh,
3: call cool all the time as well. Yeah,
1: that, that's a different, one of the main differences between this and the shoot boxing we're going to discuss is that when they're in the clinch, the ref's like, No, stop it, you can't you can't do that. Whereas in shoot yeah. boxing, like they can like try for takedowns and shit. So I assume this was just like an unintentional thing. I don't know if there was a penalty for it and uh, you know, presumably Presumably, the commentators don't don't uh, don't know either. So that that's, that's pretty much the story of round one. Then we've got a um, then a Ringo comes out with a sign which is kind of shaped like a birthday cake.
0: Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's a really bizarre it's got, like, presentation round two on
1: top of it where candles would be. So that might be what they're going for. I've Absolutely no idea. But you one of these. Is it not the rounds. Big cake? I don't know what it is. Oh, maybe actually, yeah. Big, I mean, big Cake big wrestling sense. universe.
3: I I was really. <laughs> I was quite shocked that we got ring girls because I, I really didn't expect it. And like, I
1: mean, it's kind of it's kind of the same in UFC. You've got like ring girls who are basically there to look pretty and uh, like uh, happy, uh, which is fair enough because that's like their profession. But then you have like you've got that alongside the female fighters who are there to like. Contest,
0: so. Yeah, I. Where are my ring boys? Where are my <laughs> right. sexy men in speedos holding up cards? Right.
2: I feel like there's a you a lot of. Equality could equally be reached by objectifying men more. Sometimes I, I I can, I can
1: imagine like trying to think who would like if I could pick someone from like 1994 men's wrestling to be like a ring boy. Who is the sexiest man? I'm absolutely having real trouble coming up with uh, with anyone.
3: Everyone was an ogre in '94. That's
1: a problem. Yeah, Daniel (laughs) Shibata had not yet uh, had not yet uh, started in the in the industry. So I think we all agree he's a sexy man.
3: It's going to be like some luchador or something like that, isn't it? Like some unmasked luchador. Or maybe no? old
1: Samurai was secretly a, r- a real hottie and we just, we just never knew it.
3: <laughs> oh, I know. Ultimo Dragon. You know the story about Ultimo Dragon and Stephanie McMahon?
1: Oh, the, no? the st- Steph like found him really hot or something?
3: Yeah, Stephanie McMahon fancied Ultimo Dragon without his mask and she wanted to take it off because she obviously like, had the hots for him. <laughs>
2: I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he stood firm.
1: Is that, that is that why you never got a push? Because Triple H was like, quite frankly, we can't have any of uh, can't have any of this. Can you imagine <laughs> if Paul Heyman had uh, been on the writing staff and we we could have got a old storyline with Steph Triple H and Ultimo Dragon along the lines <laughs> of all of the ones Rusev was involved in? Just imagine,
2: could
1: have been Paul stealing
3: been... his wife and his name belts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so round two, um, we've uh, this one. I think is. Miyuki comes back into it a bit more. It kind of seems like she was
3: She looks defeated and like at the end of the first round. She's like, What can I do? Like she's
1: She's going for it a lot more in this. I think she was kind of Well, I've got feeling out my car, but yeah, I think she was just like realised the hopelessness a first situation what I expected to happen was that I mean firstly I expected Miyuki to win this despite the size difference and maybe that was my naivety but um you know how like people who know absolutely fuck all about boxing and MMA was like uh Conor McGregor he uh he almost beat Floyd Mayweather because like he won the first two rounds and he won the first two rounds because Mayweather let him he was basically saying like right does this guy have anything no, okay, good. So, like, you know, it was like, at no point was McGregor close to knocking him out. You know?
3: Mayweather, like, let you put more effort into that rising exhibition fight where he sparked out, like, the the, great, the greatest hitboxer in history. Like oh, yeah, tension, back... yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, he do, he done more than that than he did, was it? But yeah, I know yeah, he does. Exactly,
1: that, so that's the way I expected um, this to go. Like, the one thing, like, Miyuki is able to do is dodge. Like, she, like, you can tell Maikawa's punches are not maybe on that level because like Miyuki is dodging them pretty easily. And maybe that's the, uh, maybe that's part of the, uh, the uh, sort of the flip side of the height difference.
0: Nice. It's the, um, my, my, so she's a karate fighter through and through. And uh, that is a bit of a double-edged sword. So in the fifth round, which we'll get to, she starts using the karate in a really good and interesting way. But in the first four rounds, Mikara is a garbage striker and just like throws up really like light, flicky head kicks that, that get blocked I mean, I've I've noted it all down. I've noted down every strike in this fight because I'm a fucking nerd. But
2: I love this. This is what you hear.
0: But like this, yeah. <laughs> There's so many. So I think the judges probably saw all of the kicks that Makarova were throwing and thought, "Wow, that looks good." But they're all deflected and blocked and ducked. It's it's just yeah, garbage. Her
1: punches very much did have the did have a I'm going to give you the thrashing of a lifetime uh, vibe. <laughs> like, yeah, <Mr>. Burns <laughs> trying to like well on the members of his board.
0: <laughs> and it is because there's there's two schools of karate competition. There's um, the the general one that most people do, which is what Mikawa seems to have done, which is point fighting. So as soon as you land a blow, that's it. Round over. You score a point, and you reset, yeah. and then you yeah, start that, what, again. That's it's very right stop to start. A taekwondo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it produces people who can't strike in combination to save their fucking <laughs> lives. And that's what Macaw does. Because as soon as she throws out one punch, suddenly her arms become like flaily noodles and she just goes wild like a 3-year-old like child. You place full
1: arm flailing, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the
1: um I mean the, the the other funny thing I I thought about they like towards the end of this round there's a sort of sideways clinch where they're um, like they're both facing the same way and I, I I'm just there watching it thinking Enoki would have done a backdrop. <laughs> you absolutely know he would. He doesn't care that you're barred from doing them. He would have done a backdrop, and they would have declared him the winner for reasons. So uh, yeah, that was round two. I I thought Miyuki kind of had the better of that um, of that round um, because, like, she was getting into it a, a bit more and like dodging a lot of the punches, landing some strikes of um, of her own. So um, round three, my car <laughs> starts off really aggressively, and the thing is about like her, the main. The main technique she has the um, the success with in terms of closing the distance. You, you've talked about her arms, Zoe, but it's not even really like a front kick. It's almost like a kind of stomp that you do to try and push someone away. She's like using the, the sole of her foot, really. Whenever Miyuki gets too close, she kind of just stomps her in the thigh. And like... It's really...
3: It's a very brother sister sort of thing. It's a sort of offense you would use against your brother or sister, you know, like get away and then just like. <laughs> I'm going to do.
0: Listen, if you get hit, it's your own fault.
3: Yeah, it's it's very much that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird, slappy kind of pushy front kick. It's 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 not great. It's not it's not what I expect from a professional fight. And I know I sound like a like disappointed head teacher, but yeah. I just in, in like. In
1: she is not a professional fighter, so
0: like. <laughs> I think if I was put
1: in this position, like uh, playing devil's advocate and I was like, notwithstanding the the, the size advantage, but I was like, okay, you're on this uh, you're on this show. There's 42000 people in attendance. Your family's probably there as well. You're having to fight this like um, experienced kickboxer. Like and I'm thinking, right, how can I keep my ass from getting kicked? I would probably do this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and to be perfectly honest, Sugar Miyuki, also not great. and, And I think she won this fight. But she's not using any kind of... She's she's hanging back and counter-fighting, which is fine when you're not the smaller fighter by a long way. <laughs> because... When you're counter fighting, you have to wait for someone to miss you and you ideally want them to miss you by millimetres. You want to be as close as possible so that you can then throw a strike back and hit them quite quickly, which is hard when you have to run about three feet forwards in order to throw that first strike. So it's it's this, just... It's... This is literally like playing with Yoda
1: on Soul Calibur 4 where like, you, you dodge an attack <laughs> and then you have to do like, three fucking somersaults to get anywhere near your opponent <laughs> yeah. because they're like a six foot five jack dude with an axe.
2: What I'm <laughs> is that in round three, that you can feel the pace is starting to build and they're obviously thinking, right, okay, we need to crack on with this now. So I feel like in that case, that was the bit where I felt like it got a little bit more pro wrestling because it felt like it was building. It felt like there was a flow. But I will be honest, this was the one where at the end of round three, someone came around with a sign saying round four and I thought, oh, fuck, you mean there's another two rounds? <laughs> I thought it was round five. A championship fight. See that championship fight. I yeah. Know, five rounds. I should have known, but um, but yeah, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't gagging for another two rounds at the end of round three.
1: Yeah, this was this was a hard watch for you, I think. Um, I mean, it was also quite late and you were tired, but still.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I think the problem for, for me is that there's no danger of a finish. Like, yeah. there's no, nobody's going to spark anyone out, so it's not really that entertaining, because you're just kind of watching to sort of, half static people yeah meagly hit each other and it doesn't yeah yeah. there's not really any sense of adrenaline there if you know what I mean
0: and the narrative doesn't I know it's not scripted but you know fights have a narrative to them and and this one doesn't change the narrative is Meikawa is really big and tall can Miyuki get past her reach? no she can't for five <laughs> of course <reps>. not
1: <laughs> like yeah the, the I mean I think also like just in terms of um, my enjoyment of kickboxing I think like this the, the stuff I find interesting about MMA is mostly the grappling. Like, give me like Damien Meyer just riding a guy for three rounds and just not letting him up for air at any point. Like, give me that shit. I love it. Um, so like, um, yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right, David. There doesn't seem to be that much um prospect of a finish. I do I do like in the join between uh, rounds. Mukey's coach appears to be just blasting him in the face with an air horn. I assume it's some.
0: I know. I don't know. <laughs> she didn't seem to
1: like it, but right, this will wake <laughs> her up. get her uh, <laughs> like hitting some of those combos
3: i <laughs> be uh, refreshed off his shift and I'd be fine. Bah, 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 bah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Saxo starts playing.
3: I, I love how he um he gets up in the middle of the match and starts, like, he's on the apron. And I'm like...
1: you <laughs> doing the Ric Flair distraction.
3: Ah, yeah, but honestly, it was like something that I smacked down, the distraction finish. I was waiting for a roll-up. Like I always thought it was going to be some sort of shenanigans roll-up. This was but, like match Imagine if you were like watching a primo fucking Manny Pacquiao fight and Freddie Roach just suddenly like jumps up in the apron mid round and starts like heckling yeah, like, Canelo or something what like that. You know I mean
1: like This is what someone said about like uh like how little sense wrestling makes. Uh, when you think about it, like, can you imagine the length of, of the ban you would get in professional boxing if like midway through the fifth round, like, four of your mates rushed the ring and started beating your opponent. <laughs>
3: you started playing your theme music or something like this and you turn around and go, what?
1: <laughs> and, and, and then, like, well, the title cannot change hands on a disqualification so even though your mates have beat the other guy up, you are still champion. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You said so Zoe, you said that you've made a note of like every strike in this match is there I have. At, at what point do you, are there strikes that you consider to have been noteworthy like
0: there are, there were quite a few but it just doesn't seem like it so the, the the point about um nobody getting knocked out and I agree because at several points certainly in the in the second and third round mekawa is in just about the worst position you can put yourself in, in order to absorb a strike. Like she's leaning back, her chin is right up in the air, her her hands are nowhere near her face, and she gets cracked with a few really like quite powerful right hands. And she just doesn't seem to notice. But it's just because the fight is so flaily, it doesn't look like anyone's getting hit.
1: This is kind of what I like about the, um, I think they've changed it now, but when I first started watching uh, Olympic boxing, What they would have is they would have, I think it was five judges, and um, basically they'd press a button when they thought a significant strike had happened and the person would get a point. But basically to get a point, at least three of the judges had to agree like so, so three different had to Yeah, so that was quite good. So it, it sort of got against that subjectivity where, like, someone thinking, "No, nah, I don't think that landed," and the guy's thinking, "That nah, definitely did." So, like, I quite like that. Yeah, I think they could have gone for some of that in this uh, in this fight because, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's like so many strikes which are just like seemingly landing and they're just doing absolutely fuck all.
2: So, but credit to Miyuki that she's now getting, she's actually now getting some punches in at that.
0: Oh, she is, yeah. So, Miyuki, according to me, so obviously this is not the official strike uh, count, but I, I've got Miyuki outlanding Mikawa every round. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah, every round. It,
2: it does make sense that she would be able to do that because she's got the skill, even though you, you know. She, yeah, in spite of being at a size disadvantage it does make sense actually that she should be able to do that
0: yeah and a lot of them to be fair are leg kicks which again are, are these things that, that just aren't going answered at all from Meikawa she doesn't seem to know how to block them and it's annoying that Miyuki doesn't throw them more yeah that's the thing I mean the thing is
1: I put who I thought had won the rounds and I've got it 49-46 but I know fuck all about uh, about this so like um, I have clearly been swayed by the good looking but like ultimately quite ineffective <laughs> head kicks
0: well, I, so I thought I had a, the reason why I've done this is because I watched the fight and I thought, I think Miyuki won that. And then the judges said otherwise, and I was angry. So I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to go back and I'm going to fucking prove that Miyuki won that. So I was watching, I was going all by frame by frame at some point being like, was that a punch? Did that land? Yes, it does. That's going in the what wind would column. I you to
1: used to have watched this fight twice. <laughs> <I
0: know. laughs> would, would
3: you like this coding?
1: Um well let, let's get to the end of the fight because we've got to we're into championship rounds now David so we should uh, <laughs> we should uh, talk about that. So I think Miyuki has learned by round 4 that if she goes for the high kicks like I should go for the clinch instead I should like try and close the distance. And to be fair to her she does a good job in this but Mikawa is good at using her reach um to like land some uh, land some punches. There's also a bit where like um uh, Miyuki gets like the the first time I think anyone actually got at least a little bit staggered in this fight, wherein Miyuki got sort of sent backwards into the ropes. I don't know if she lost her footing or whether that was the effect with the punch, but she bounced back, um, quickly anyway, and, uh, didn't sell the back like, uh, the true pro Doris Blinn did in the, uh, when she got into the ropes in the uh, amateur. So, you know, he's goddamn no selling motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. And then like, um, it's actually quite funny. Like, um, Miyuki just seemed to yeah, get a little bit desperate in round five, like knowing she might be behind on the scorecards, uh, which proved to be the case. But uh, Maikawa basically matted her in that when she's uh, she's uh, really going for it and just landing some big kicks to the ribs. And Miyuki even goes for this incredibly wild back fist um, towards the end of the round. Oh, it looked yeah. like it would have got cow in the tits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you get a point for that, but... Um, that's basically how we end uh, the fight anyway. It definitely gets pretty ragged
2: uh, yeah, towards the, the end. Makawa uh, starts going for the-, for the head kicks. It feels like she's trying to do a holy home on her or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, this is the point where she's just like, quick, I want a knockout. Let's just start leathering her.
0: But the- this is the point where Makawa starts fighting like a karate fighter. And it works. And I don't know why she didn't do this at the end. Of- she does these... She'll she'll throw a push kick or a body kick and Miyuki will, will either go backwards and rebound off the ropes a little bit or go backwards and then naturally, you know, so you get pushed backwards. You want to move forwards to show that it didn't hurt you. And then when she does that, Meikawa throws a straight punch and, and hits her quite a few times. And it fucking works. And it is exactly how you use karate-style fighting in the kickboxing ring. And then she just stops and then she throws up a few slappy high kicks and and, and just gets bored of the thing that was working. Meanwhile... Miyuki is throwing her entire weight into every punch, despite clearly being exhausted. At one point, falling over with the strength of what she's throwing.
1: It's a, it's such a good babyface performance. So, like, um,
2: I really felt like she was. I really felt like she was giving it everything.
1: So, uh, David, what are the scores on the doors for this uh, for this fight?
3: So, scores on the doors for this. Um, so, uh, judges all unanimous decision for Mikawa. The first one was 50-49. Um the next one was fifty forty-six and fifty forty-eight. Okay. And Cabrada actually rated it fifty forty-five.
1: Okay, so uh clearly there's some drawn rounds uh, by the judges then, which I don't think you can do anymore. I don't know if uh...
2: On your undisputed scoring system, <laughs> <piston>, so <laughs> oh, what did you Proved by there? science.
0: Oh, well I've I've got I've got Miyuki definitely winning the the second and third rounds. Um McArdle definitely winning the fifth, and then the fourth and the first are up in the air. But I think Miyuki probably won the first and probably won now, the fourth. Now,
1: the one thing I was going to ask about this is um, uh, now you, we've, we've talked uh, in in the past before, not 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 just here but uh, uh, otherwise on the Puri podcast about. I mean, we've talked about stuff like Nobuhiko Takada versus Mark Coleman where basically you, uh, you, would, you bought a win and this, and this is why the video on YouTube is titled Mark Coleman Disgraces America. <laughs> Not as much as it's disgraced itself, mate. Um, but, um, so uh, did, did this look to you to have any like sort of elements of being a work or did it seem to you just to be a... Uh, a I, and the reason I got suspect, suspecting of this is because I looked at the results on Cage Match and like the pro wrestler had beaten the kickbox and I was like, hmm. Because I've seen things like that happen before in uh, in pro wrestling when someone was on the take so did it was there anything that seemed to you like they were cooperating or did it just seem to be a fight that the person won with inferior technique but by
0: being significantly bigger i think if they had been cooperating it would have looked better <laughs> like it would have been entertaining like if i if i was cooperating with someone and that fight was what i produced i everybody involved should be mad at that i mean
1: covering your tracks i mean there's a famous story about um the, the former world boxing champion, Primo Carnera, who was um, uh, re- reputedly the Mafia controlled his fights. And that was how he became world champion. And, you know, after after he lost the belt, the Mafia sort of better lot on his fights as well. So he took some dives. And there's a story about a young Lou Thez uh, sort of uh, at the start of his wrestling career had been to one of these boxing fights. And afterwards, he met a sports writer he knew. And the sports writer said, Lou, after that, I promise you, I will never make fun of professional wrestling ever again. <laughs> you guys try and make it look real. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, I mean, the other question I was going to ask was um, not wishing to impugn the honour of any of the judges here but, you know, if, if with something as subjective as the scoring systems do, do you think they just over overvalued uh, the efficacy of my car's kicks or do you think they've maybe had a whisper in their ear saying like you know, if you can give the decision to the wrestler we're maybe going to push, then uh, then maybe do that
3: Maybe the Yakuza were doing some match fixing here. I mean, to be fair, if you're betting in this, this, is a, I used to know someone used to bet in the, the Bosnian Premier League and stuff like that. You're 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 pretty low in the battle if you if you're betting on this, but you never know.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. It's um, you know.
2: Yeah. What do you think?
1: It's interesting too.
0: Well, there, there's an old like kind of uh understanding in uh, japanese mixed martial arts that the the first consideration that a judge will have is is the fighter japanese if so congratulations they won the fight and uh I, I think it does carry over to this kind of thing quite often in a in a close fight the fighter who you think oh i hope the judges aren't biased towards them yeah they're going to win the judges are going to be biased towards them like and it does it's not just japan to be fair they're just more overt about it but in in most promotions the the homecomer will win
2: i think there's a definite reason here why they would want it to be my cow who won and i think it i think the your kind of second instance george is most likely i think it's been it was very much along the lines of we see big things in this girl please make sure that she wins if yeah. you possibly can. I, I, I think it's very much kind of leaning on judges yeah, to make and, sure they make the right call.
1: And, and I think that's actually more likely than the fight itself being a work because if you're Sugar Miyuki and you're an up and coming kickboxer, it's not in your the interest of your career to intentionally take a dive to a pro wrestler. So yeah. um, like, again, notwithstanding the, uh, the height advantage that may act as a, a mitigating factor. So I think that's probably more likely, but this was a, this was a weird. This was a weird fight. Like, uh, like this. This is again, Zoe. Why we want you on the podcast? Maybe say, like, is this <laughs> technically good? And it seems like the answer is no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there was some good, but there are there are things watching it. There are things that uh, Sugar Miyuki is doing, like uh, leg kicking the rear leg, uh, that that mixed martial artists now still struggle with because that that you know because uh, striking technique isn't as good as it could be. Uh, there are definitely moments where I'm thinking that was really good. That was in- impressive. But for the most part, it's just Miyuki swings, massive swinging overhands and Meikawa slaps her with kicks that don't land. And it's just that yeah, for five and I rounds. I imagine
1: with the sort of less developed state of women's kickboxing at the time, like flailing away like that was probably enough to dispatch her. Most- <laughs> oh, I
0: don't think women's kickboxing is really a thing yeah. at all at this point. Well, I mean, it obviously is because of um, uh, the, the woman who we talked about in the last episode, whose name I've forgotten. Lucia Riker? Oh, well, she wasn't Japanese though. Um, so no, uh,
3: but she she was in she she did really like fight in Japan and stuff like that. But yeah, no, I definitely think that she would definitely have a, had an influence. Definitely.
1: Yeah. So uh, that and uh, my car gets a. This is an especially deluxe-looking trophy. Actually, we've talked about the uh, these trophies uh, that the winners of the matches get, but the, this has got like I don't know what they're called. So I've just written chandelier bits. But,
2: <laughs> <laughs> It's got a lot of bits hanging off it which cause a number of issues because they're trying to do a post-match interview with it and <laughs> all you can hear is these bits hanging off that just hang jangling. off the trophy, just jangling and clacking. It's
3: like them. having a Christmas tree, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, it totally is.
3: I believe this match is sponsored by Keiran Orange as well. That's not even a joke. It genuinely was sponsored by Keiran Orange. Yeah, um, so the, cl- yeah, the, the Keiran the Keir lads have good form with uh, big trophies. so Ke-
1: Keiran lads, lads have out themselves as loyalists. <laughs> yes,
3: exactly. Um, yeah, but no, I quite enjoyed this.
1: It, it, it didn't make me want to go out and like seek out more kickboxing to watch. Uh, like I, I, I did. I didn't feel like oh, this is offering me something that I couldn't get with like with MMA.
2: Honestly, for me, this was a bit of a slog. Uh,
1: it was um, only ten minutes.
2: Well. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> ten minutes of actual fighting with like all the round breaks and the premium plus yeah, match okay. and everything like that, like the actual standalone video would be upwards of twenty. Yeah, I think that. Uh, I think from my point of view, it was just in hindsight, you know, from what we've just talked about here and what I'm learning from this conversation, maybe having longer rounds would not have actually made it better. <laughs> but, one, but one of the things that I kept feeling was that two minutes was kind of not enough time to really do much. But then from the from the sounds of it, they weren't exactly using the time to their advantage either. It just, it always felt like it was about to go somewhere else, but it never made it to.
0: Yeah, I think that that does happen in general. The longer rounds go on, obviously the longer rounds go on, the more tired people get. So you can get really sloppy, bad matches. But, but I mean, it's only two minutes long because they're women. Um, and that, that was a rule that kept going for quite a long time. That women's kickboxing was two minutes around, round and uh, men's kickboxing was three minutes. Which is such a small difference that it just seemed really pointless. Especially just especially abstruse
1: example of sexism.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I think longer, longer rounds, three minute rounds in kickboxing, you definitely do see that. There's there's more opportunity to get that kind of momentum going that just wasn't yeah, present. It's like in this if you
1: fight. imagine watching a World of Sport match because our three minute rounds, like uh, it's the same sort of thing. Like how much interesting mat wrestling could you do if you had two minutes to play with? Um, so yeah, I think it's exactly the same sort of thing. I also think having the the knowledge base of kickboxing, especially helps. I like, obviously, you're able to analyze it from that perspective. I'm just watching some f- flaley hitting.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time around when I was like counting every punch. But I think that was because I had a him- I had a hankering that uh, Sugar Miyuki had won, and every time she landed a blow, it was vindication <laughs> for me. So that that helped.
3: I will say, um, in terms of like wrestling shows or like weird combat sports uh, spinoffs. This is far better than any of the awful boxing and karate matches that WCW ever did with Ernest the Cat Miller and Roddy Piper and stuff like that. Oh God! I'll take this over any of those.
1: Uh, Ernest the Cat Miller. When will someone call his mother? That's what I want to know. Um, So um, yeah, the um, so uh, I think let's move on to the uh, to the the shoot boxing. So we've paired this with the kickboxing. even though they're not together in the card because they're sort of related forms. So this is match number eight on the uh, on the, on the show. A, a mere sixteen to go, or fifteen, depending on who you believe, as per uh, last episode. So this is uh, Kaoru Ito, another member of the AJW roster, versus uh, Fumiko Ishimoto. So Sarah, if you will, a little bit about shootboxing and what, what 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 the fuck is shootboxing and uh, and uh, who are these women who are involved?
2: So um. So shoot boxing, honestly, is, it's a bit niche, I think, even by sort of like combat sports <laughs> standards. Um, so think of think of kickboxing as you will. Think of sort of shoot style wrestling and all of the influences of people like Carl Gotch and, and the influences that he got from Billy Robinson of Wigan and of sort of Pelwani from, from Indian martial arts. Um, marry the two... And you sort of get shootboxing. So it was it was created uh, by one Caesar Takeshi in (laughs) nineteen
1: eighty-five. That is a heck of a name. It's
2: a heck of a name, and I'm really disappointed that, despite being both Caesar and Takeshi, there seems to be no discernible castles or palaces (laughs) to refer to. Um, So, essentially, so thankfully there is a website called Shootboxing.org, which looks vaguely official.
3: Um, Always a .org, isn't it? It's always .org. Always .org. (laughs) Oh
2: it that's why <laughs> so he said, uh, so we, basically it's it's a standing it's a standing martial art that recognizes throwing techniques and standing joint techniques it says in the google translate in addition to punching and kicking so it it, it allows for kicks punches knees elbows throws and and standing submissions so it's a really Honestly, I've never seen anything quite like it. And I don't it, know whether that's just because like, I am not particularly well exposed to different martial arts and things it, like that. But it, I mean...
1: it also says on this website, uh, Samurai Stands and Fights. And in those four words, you possibly have why Japanese fighters have not excelled on a global
0: level in MMA. <laughs> um, I,
3: my interpretation of shootboxing was is that right, you've got kickboxing, but how do you make kickboxing better? Well, what you do is you put in judo throws and Azure Kong discus elbows. <laughs> I, and I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that's a great stance to teach. Harness of Azure Kong discus elbows, um, Hurricanes, and yeah, a couple of judo throws, I'm- some shin kicking. You'll pepper on a bit of shin kicking every now and then. You'll be fine.
1: I mean, this isn't actually the, This is actually isn't the first shoot boxing fight I've ever watched. Because in in our Wednesday night stream a few months ago, uh, we had decided to make a weird Japanese MMA a theme of uh, of the stream. And uh, the um, uh, now sadly retired uh, former Stardom wrestler Arisa Hoshki when she um, retired from wrestling the first time, she went into shootboxing. boxing, and uh, it seemed like she was pretty good at it. I mean, she, the the fight I watched, she. Looked good and uh, dominated the uh, the fighter, and possibly possibly started developing the neurological issues that sadly led to her uh, second retirement, which is really a shame. But that so that's my experience of uh, shoot boxing, and uh, there wasn't an awful lot of throws in the uh, in that fight, so I didn't necessarily get the um, uh, the difference between shoot boxing and kickboxing. But fucking hell, there's throws in this. So, but before we uh, we talk about <laughs> that, uh, so if you can tell us a little bit about the uh, about the two competitors,
2: well, I can certainly tell you about at least one of them. Um, so let's. So let's start with Keoru Ito, um, not to be confused, and I make this mistake often and <laughs> will be re-listening to some of our previous episodes of this with a view to this in mind.
1: <laughs> David, can you snip out every instance of Ito being said?
2: <laughs> I am vaguely concerned that I might have done this in previous episodes, but Keoru Ito is not to be confused with Keoru in Block Capitals, um, who is also a wrestler, who is also on this show in the, undergrad, in the undercard and is... Uh, certainly uh, younger and sort of not as far into her career at this point um so Kioruita um can still be seen wrestling at the age of 48 right now in pro wrestling Diana. she debuted in 1989 um having trained under the legend that is Jaguar akuta in the ajw um, dojo. um so she didn't actually go into mma until 2001 for her first fight um her pro record is two wins and three losses um so she she was one of those kind of AJW lifers, like we talked about Mikawa being as well, um, until about 2004. So she wasn't with them right until the end, like Makawa was, but she stuck around for quite a long time. Um, in 93, she'd also, just before this, um, she'd also done some of that work with JWP and LLPW, where she probably worked with Shinobu Kandori and got, uh, and got a bit more of a sense of that. Um, she... I mean, it's just a sign of what happens to AJW after after the money goes and after the audiences sort of going in the early 2000s. Um, so she's somebody who spent years in the company working her way up. She got her red belt shot before Make Hour. She got it in 2000. She then held that title for 525 days. Jesus. Then she won it. She, she had five months off. Then she won it again in 2002 and held it for another 106 days. Um, at this point, when, uh, of, of the match that we're talking about now, that's not where she is. Yeah, so she didn't go into MMA until seven years after uh, after this fight, um, and then she had um, and then she had a couple of other fights in two thousand between two thousand four and two thousand six. For this show, she is still kind of in your lower card where she's had so she's had the ajw championship which is one of the sort of lower mid-card titles and she's a previous um japanese tag team champion with saki hasagawa who we who was blizzard yuki who we talked about (laughs) in a previous episode um so Imagine imagine if you will, but I think despite the fact that she goes on to have this kind of long storied career and is one of those people who's really widely respected now, at this point she is still just kind of the promising newcomer and they obviously want to do something with her in a bit more of a shoot style in the same way as Meg Howard.
1: Yeah, like this is this is the thing about uh, Kaorito, like I was, like the, the idea of Kaorito shoot boxing was kind of strange, but the, the thing is I, I you know, I, I watched the odd sort of um, Diana show where here and there and you see her make appearances and i she's not not someone I've ever thought of as having um so I bet she would be good at shoot boxing but like she is a lot older and slower now like being 48 years old and, and also a lot differently built her build weight nowadays is about 240 pounds so like um yeah, she's you know she, yeah so like this is sort of earlier in her career when she was a lot more fleet of foot and um, like clearly, clearly does know what she's doing in terms of the, uh, the technique so uh, yeah, yeah quite an interesting thing to see her in this position on the card and again clearly someone they are going to push at some point in the future um, but as far as so Fumiko Ishimoto her opponent
2: yeah so remember how I said that I could certainly tell you about one of these <coughs> competitors so <laughs> if you search for Fumiko Ishimoto you will find basically two of what maybe two or three different different fights of hers on YouTube, and they're all AJW martial arts title. Um, so you, there is there is the fight that we're about to talk about. There's the one where she beat Kumiko Mikawa for the martial arts title in July 1995. So that's kind of the one that kind of becomes the the follow up to Big Egg Wrestling Universe, where they finally have their title match, which is contested under shoot boxing rules. Um. And then she defended the title briefly against a returning bat Yoshinaka in 1996. <laughs> now, those are so, so here's what we know we know that she definitely had some shoot boxing, uh, some shoot boxing fights between 1994 and 1996 because there is video evidence of this. There is not much else, and indeed, if you look online now, there is a chance that Fumiko Ishimoto is actually now the sports photographer whose Instagram account I found, which includes lots of boxing and combat sports, as well as people's weddings and birthday parties.
0: Yeah, I think she is. She looks the same. I
2: think it's her. I mean, I I don't want to say for certain, because we don't really have like a, we don't really have like an evidence of progression from one to the other. But I think think it would make
1: sense if she had like, doing photography yeah. for like combat sports. I
2: mean, it, when it came up in Google I assumed that it was wrong, but then I I clicked on it and realized that actually most of what uh, a lot of what she does is combat sport photography and I was like, well that that would actually make a lot of sense. Okay. Um so,
0: yeah, and there's um general sports, but there's some pro wrestling here as well. Good photographer by the way. <laughs> <little bit.
2: laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, well, I've link to her <laughs> yeah. website as well. Actually, it, you know, it looks like she's someone that you probably got that you'd book But um so, but that is pretty much the extent of what I know about Fumiko Ishimoto, that she was, the second, uh, she was the second and last martial arts champion in AJW. She had some fights and is probably now a photographer. Um, so this is another appeal to listeners, that if anybody does know anything else at all about Fumiko Ishimoto and you want to fill in any of the gaps oh. in this woman's career... Please let us know. We will clear it up on a future episode because I really, really want to know more about it. Well,
1: we've got a friend called Jose who... um like he's, he's into his combat sports and he's an absolute like wealth of knowledge about Joshi, especially 90s Joshi. And we asked him who, if he knew who Fumiko Ishimoto was and he was like, never heard of her. <laughs> so that, uh, that told you quite a like, lot. It didn't seem like she had so much to do with the wrestling business. But uh, uh, anyway, this is uh, yeah, easily the uh, biggest thing she ever did in, uh, in uh, wrestling. And again, presumably the biggest crowd she has ever competed in front of, just like Sugar Miyuki. So in terms of the, uh, we always end up talking about the, uh, the gear on this show, but like you know, it's a that was a big thing. Everyone had new uh, outfits made, so um, Ito is in sort of basically standard wrestling gear but with big gloves. And um, Ishimoto, it, she's not gone with the like the real sort of bizarre uh clothes that uh, Sugar Miyuki had on representing her great homeland of the United States of America. Um, but you could kind <laughs> of also believably be a wrestler with that leotard. I don't, I don't think that's the sort of thing you would wear if you were a shoot boxer. Like um, I don't know what shoe boxes wear.
0: I'm not sure. Yeah, I I think you could. I've definitely seen um, kickboxers wearing that okay. kind of thing.
1: So...
0: I don't know whether you should or not. But... <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that that that's the big debate. Uh, she gets the
1: porno stamp scene as well, uh, um, and Ito gets something uh, something more synth based. So that's uh, I, I do like how none of the um, none of the music on this uh, on this uh, 1990s wrestling show sounds like it was written in the 90s.
2: Oh, it's all like eighties <laughs> hotel lounge music. Yeah,
1: it's and you know, it, not, you know but, what? I absolutely love
2: it. Well, the thing is, there's one of them um, one of them, and I think it's I think it's Ishimoto, Um, when for her entrance music as she was coming in, I couldn't decide whether it was overdubbed like a lot of the music is, or whether it was actually, or whether it was actually the music that was being used on site. But I was listening to the synthiness of it and thinking, this sounds a lot like like eighties wanky Van Halen, and then. <laughs> and then at the end like you heard the, op- the, the opening bars of the winning music and it was actually the introduction to Jump so, <laughs> so, I, think, so I think somewhere down the line they might have lost track of their I, licensing I, but I basically think they were billing her as a Van Halen fan.
1: I, I did an I, I did, I did A-level music exam when I was uh, younger and you basically had to you had to harmonise a soprano line in the style of J.S. Park for like 12 bars it wasn't actually that difficult once you worked out how to do it and what the examiners were looking for and I finished with like an hour to spare and I was like, okay, cool. I guess I'll just play on this keyboard with my headphones in for like the next hour. And I knew, know very few songs on the keyboard. Like most of them are by Rush and the one that isn't is Jump. So I was like, okay, I'll just amuse myself. And then the guy who was next to me in the exam after we got I was like, are you playing Jump? I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing Jump quite badly. Surely <laughs> you should have done what everyone
3: um, done in my music class, which is I uh, take the headphones out when you're not looking. Uh, and also turn your um, synth to gunshot mode, so that you just put the your heads you go to just start playing like Edelweiss, but entirely in gunshots, much like an American skill. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> hey!
1: <laughs> oh, just pressing the DJ button.
3: DJ, DJ,
1: come on! Just in, terms of
2: where, in terms of where this is on the card, as well, remember that these two fights bookend the amateur wrestling. Yeah. So. This is coming straight after they've had um, the crowd response for the miyu yamamoto um fight was louder than it had been for the previous one. So uh, throughout those kind of three matches, the crowd really seems to have gotten into things. And at this point, it kind of dies again. In this one, I felt like the, the, the crowd was just kind of... Um, they certainly get... Uh, I think they get into it after a while, but in the last couple of rounds, like like the crowd really starts to flag again as well. It's a really strange reaction to this. I don't think they get it in quite the same way that they got, like, the Well, I don't know if
1: the... Well, I I guess this would probably be the least known of the three uh, fighting styles. I think there might also be a factor of... I don't know if the uh, the match order was announced ahead of time, but... um, like the match that is that comes up after this is Chickas and the Gaio, uh versus Reggie Bennett. So there might be an element of when are we going to get to the fireworks factory from the uh, from the crowd. Uh, yeah. the, the, and the other thing is that the, um, th- this is five three minute rounds rather than uh, two minute rounds. So again, this is a is a uh, longer it's fight. A long but yeah, let's uh, say yeah, if you if you if you thought the other one was a slog, but you know there's uh, there's um, there's throws boy boy howdy are they throws.
0: So um, <laughs> and boy howdy do they. Try a lot they of throws, absolutely
1: do so. I will say this for this fight, they're really going for it from the off. With um, what I want to know this is there's an attempt at like a sort of head and arm choke type thing. Like, I mean, I've never seen someone win via standing submission in the UFC, and that's probably because it's a different sport. But like, what percentage of shoot boxing fights end via standing submission? Surely it's not very high.
0: with well, the um, the, the standing arm to head and arm choke is something that I have seen attempted once in the oh. UFC by uh benson henderson who he spent his uh ufc career basically fucking about <laughs> and be like hey look what i can do because i'm quite good at, at defending myself so you know people can't really hit me so i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna start punching people in the day." he fought one of his title matches with a toothpick in his <laughs> mouth
2: <laughs> what that boss. seems like he was asking for trouble
0: i know right he just like it, it was just tucked into his cheek and as soon as he he won the match it just popped out of his mouth there and the interviewer was just like have you had that in your mouth the whole really time? You are detective energy from that. <laughs> yeah. But the, in, in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what you would, you would call the uh, standing head on arm choke, uh, te- the technical term for it is white belt shit because it never works. <laughs> it's 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 just, it's kind of the, something that you attempt when you think, ooh, no one will have thought of this before. And yes, everybody has. And it it's not very good. And it doesn't work. Oh, man.
3: Absolute maverick move um <laughs> yeah
0: this is this is um I,
1: I will say like ito has nice form on the high kicks and really the same thing Kumiko makawa had very nice form on the high kicks and just they <laughs> didn't really do anything but they look very pretty now the main difference between uh this and um uh and kickboxing is that throws are allowed which means that clinches are allowed so and that gives you opportunities to do some knees in the clinch which uh, at various points in the fight they um they try and uh, they try and do and um the strange thing about this to me is very early on in the fight it becomes very clear even to a non-shoot aficionado like myself that you're not allowed to attack a down opponent whether this be via submission or via strikes so there are numerous instances of someone doing a judo throw ito seems to have slightly more success than ishimoto with these um, and then they kind of have to let their opponent up so again, this kind of seems like a a, a way of wearing your opponent down because presumably you're not going to knock anyone out. Of this,
0: um, like, I mean, you'd have to throw him on the floor pretty fucking hard. Watch him. Um, there's a there's a Muay Thai fighter called Senchai. S A E N C H I. I don't know whether I spelled that right, but um, he's well worth watching because he's one of uh, one of the greatest Muay Thai fighters of all time. But he's also Muay Thai has rules for throws. You're allowed to do throws in certain ways. Um you're you're only allowed like I think there's something like you're only allowed to touch your opponent with a part of your body that you would strike with. So you can like tip them over with your shin, but you couldn't <laughs> use the back of your leg to trip them. It's bizarre. But Senchai is the best at it and he is really good at basically Picking someone up and dumping them on their head, and he's got knockouts that way. Oh, and, god, that's a good and, one. That. Help helps by the fact that in Muay Thai, if you throw someone, it is perfectly legal to kick them while they're on the way down. Just not, not one, not once they hit the floor.
1: This is a sport that has actual like Street Fighter juggle combos. Oh, yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> that that's really that's really good. So it seems like the technique really. Here it seems like there's a in round one Ishimoto does a throw and then waits for Ito to standing and then follows up with a back fist attempt. So that kind of uh, <laughs> might give them just enough time to like get to their feet before like going back on the offensive. Um, so yeah,
2: I was gonna say, I definitely did see more than one like spinning back fist in this match, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, they yeah, it, really it, in
0: round time. five there's like dueling spinning back fist. They just both go for it. Uh, yeah. Very close at the same time.
2: That was the moment where I was like, "It's because they know that Aja Kong is the champion, yeah. and they just really wanted to pay homage to her." Isn't it, it? It. <laughs>
1: this is what me, me and my mate did. Um, we were playing UFC Undisputed Three on the uh, on the Xbox 360, and finally out like both of both of the fighters we picked had the spinning back fist as our special move. So <laughs> the rest of the fight, both guys just spinning around like a top. And it's actually like Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beyblade. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Was, what uh, the UFC
0: um, needs is for the fight is to be wound up tightly in cord before the fight starts <laughs> and then just let them rip.
1: That that would genuinely be. It would just put them in like a fucking centrifuge. Or you something. know how they
3: always call <laughs> UFC human cockfighting? Well, it's actually human b-boy. That's what
1: it should be. <laughs> Spelt B-A-E-B-L-A-T-E. Um, there's also a, a point on that game as well where I managed to knock a guy clean out with a spinning back fist in my career mode with my creative fighter, Jason Wang. And then I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to bed. Like, I'm not topping this. <laughs> <laughs> like, so yeah, very very satisfying when it comes off. And I think I think psychologically speaking, this must have something to do with like it's like okay, look, it's not working. but you think how fucking cool it would look I if I f- there's not- definitely
3: uh, an opening for uh, an illegitimate fighting company that based is based on the idea that you can only do mad as fuck finishing moves. It's the only, <laughs> the only offense yeah. you're allowed to do. You're only allowed to do like spinning backfists like, or Kaley kicks, kicks or or stuff flying like
1: From the start of his uh, heavyweight title fight against Tim Silver <laughs> and stuff like that. Every, every, everyone would start a fight like Shibata by
2: like doing a drop kick.
1: <laughs> so,
2: so this is a question. Sure, but, this is a question. And I think it goes back into the discussion of whether or not this match is a work or a shoot. If... You were going to work this match. Would you have that many spinning backfists in it, considering the fact that Aja Kong, who is the champion of AJW, (laughs) is going to appeal later on and use it as an absolutely devastating finisher? I think that you would have, and especially 90s AJW bookers, would actually have had the sense to not have that many backfists in this match.
0: Need to get better, better road agents. Yeah, yeah, you don't. You don't want people to realize that ninety nine percent of the time, a spinning back fist is wank.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I mean the thing is, Adi I believe that a spinning back fist from Adi could level a tree. Like honestly, like I fully, I fully believe it when it comes from her. But I, I, she's I, built. I, but it's because that that move has been built up, and I think a, a lot of a lot of wrestlers will say you can build any move to be a credible finisher if you make sure that it's I, sold I, properly and it's. Remember when Mark Henry yes. had the bear hug oh, yeah, in yeah. like the 2010s? Like that's yeah, a like viable the
3: big shows
1: Knockout punch. Yeah, his hands are fucking massive. That's actually a really good point, though. I hadn't thought about it that way. But I can <laughs> imagine Arjay Kong like marching up to these uh, women furiously after the show and just be like, "I dare you bury my finisher. You did 18 <laughs> of them in this match, and none of them, none of them, knocked your opponent out."
2: Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting when I was looking at it because I was like, cause because basically, because in my notes I've put. I've I, I put spinning back first as a transitional move. Comet exposing the business. <laughs> um, so that, was, so, so that
3: <laughs> <laughs> there's always the cover though that I would say, and it's her finisher. She's practiced it more. They've not done that. They're just using it as She's she's honed it, so it's more powerful when she
2: does it. Yeah. So it, it's not a, it's not world beating for them, but it's only world beating for us. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd believe that as well. I think that I think the problem with this is just that. I'm finding it really hard to get out of watching it from a pro wrestling point of view. So I think, <laughs> I, like everything that I'm seeing, like I'm thinking about it in in those. Terms. I mean, it seems like, like you have more a, fun
1: doing that. So, yeah, like,
2: well, uh... to be honest, I, I think it's like it, it's a mindset <laughs> shift to watching to watching this, and I that I yeah. just didn't really do. The uh... so I'll, I'll watch MMA outside of outside of this context, and it's. And that's actually fine because I'm looking at it in a different way. But I think it's the fact that this is, it's not pro wrestling, but it's on a pro wrestling show. And I'm coming to it with a set of assumptions. Yeah,
1: no, that, 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 that's absolutely fair. I mean, getting into round two, um, one thing I noticed, and this is relating back to the previous fight. Uh, Ishimoto's, you can tell who the, um, the person who does this like properly and the person who's kind of had a little bit of training because Ishimoto's punch combinations are very steady, almost to the point of being like quite stiff. Well, like she she can do the combinations like quite metronomically, no problem. There's a lot of there's a lot more flaily punching from uh, where Ito is concerned. Like we've 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 are back to the, yeah. uh, the sort of stuff that my was throwing out in the in the kickboxing fight. Um, there's there's also a very funny moment uh, which uh, uh, Ishimoto grinds Ito down to the ground, which is what is basically a side headlock which is e- extremely amusing. Like, uh, we're, do, we're do, I'm knackered, we're doing a rest hold. Go <laughs> on, we're, we're going to take us to the end of the round. <laughs> um, but, like, I mean, you, you were talking about leg kicks earlier, sorry, in the previous fight, how you wish there'd been more of them. There's a fuck ton of leg kicks in this. Oh, yeah, and- this is
0: everything I wanted from the, the, for the first fight. <laughs> like, down to the fact that Fum- Fumiko Ishimoto actually uses a jab, which is just, it's so underappreciated, and it's so bizarre, like... Fumiko Shimura has a really good grasp of boxing fundamentals for somebody who spams spinning back fists every three minutes. Like, <laughs> it's bizarre to watch her start combat, and it works. She starts a combination with a jab, and then she lands three or four punches. And the, the, the big stage has gone to her head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's <a> Hollywood finish. <laughs> That's really uh, yeah. The um,
1: I mean, she does leave herself open to counter punches with the uh, with the leg kicks, but like uh, she's re- she's really laying them in, and she does manage to. For someone who, um, you know, Ishimoto is uh, seemingly a, a, a pro shoot boxer. It um, like Ito was having a lot of success with her trips, in uh, especially in the second round, but also in this uh, in this fight in general. Like, I don't know, I would have imagined that Ishimoto would have stronger takedown defense for someone who's like done more of this than her opponents.
3: It's weird. Like Ito, really like scored well with the judo throws but just could not defend a punch to save a fucking life. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's kind of like, it's what you want, isn't it? It's what you want, somebody to do mad for least, but it's also got like, the glassiest of glass jaws. Um, and, and it just has no, like, um, defense whatsoever. Um, yeah, like, it's, it's fascinating. Because she you, you could just get sparked at any point. Yeah, yeah
1: it's, I mean, like, it's amazing she, she doesn't. I mean, fair play to her for, uh, uh, spoiler alert, lasting the distance in this. But uh, round three gets real scrappy at the start. Ishimoto seems to want to apply some uh, more pressure. But Ito's still having a lot of success with her throws, uh, and that's guarding her well against uh, the, the clearly very dire threat of uh, submitting to her, to the aforementioned white belt <laughs> shit. I think if uh, Ito would be winning this fight hands down if ground submissions were allowed. Because she's having real success with these uh, judo throws, and she—if this was MMA—she'd be able to transition into some into some ground submissions. Um, but obviously, this being shootboxing, she's having to wait for Ishimoto to get up, throw again, wait, get up, etc., etc., etc. It actually does remind me a lot of the Brawl for all rules, where like takedowns were like, and this is a thing. Like watching this match from where I'm sitting, uh, not knowing the judging criteria, I've not actually got much knowledge of how prized takedowns are as something that's gonna get you points on the judges scorecard but win the ball for all takedowns are worth an absurd amount of points and like I think the more proficient like Steve Williams, whoever like, "Oh, Steve Williams he's a he's a hard man, great amateur wrestler. His fights are gonna be really explosive. And Steve Williams has just worked out with the rules. Like, if I just keep taking them down, I'll get a shit ton of points <laughs> and I'll get so all he did was just, like, do a takedown, wait for his opponent to get up, do a takedown because they can't defend takedowns, and rinse and repeat. So it kind of reminded me of that a lot.
2: Of course you've managed to raise the brawl for all in both of these episodes. Of course
1: you've. <laughs> hey, you, you know, that, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my... You know, Zoe brings the actual knowledge of combat sports. I bring knowledge of the brawl for all. Plus, as we
0: all know, the winner of this fight goes on to fight Butterbean. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> my
3: god i would watch that so much
1: <laughs> who i was thinking who is the female butterbean immediately thinking it's Svetlana Gundarenko
3: it's, it's Svetlana Gundarenko yeah absolutely like absolutely lethal in the size of a house
1: yeah ab- absolutely like the um so uh into in championship rounds uh, now um i there was this again watching with my wrestling hat on ito is trying to do a um throw to ishimoto and they're kind of in the robes and for a, a brief minute we almost look like we're going to get a raw rumble elimination spot <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, i'm going to wrestlemania Woo! there's a bit in this round as well where one of them attempts a throw i think it's ishimoto attempts a throw and lands herself on her head and is still for a yeah. worrying time and then gets up yeah. and continues but i thought she'd been knocked out cold
1: Imagine, like, getting... Well, it kind of reminded me of um, the... I think the third came Velasquez-Junior uh Junior Dos Santos fight where, like, it, it went to the fourth round and they were both absolutely fucked. Yeah. Um, and just, like, completely knackered, knackered. And Dos Santos went for, like, one last big haymaker and Velasquez Dos and Dos Santos basically just fell on his head and knocked himself yeah. out. <laughs> it was so... Best finished UFC fight ever. Oh, well, there's
0: the Grey gray Maynard versus... Ah, somebody can't remember the name, but Grey Maynard's f- first fight in the UFC, he took his opponent down in such a stupid way with his head out to the side, landed on his own head, knocked himself out, but in doing so injured his opponent's rib. And the referee didn't notice that he'd been knocked <laughs> completely. Yeah. unconscious. So his opponent is like wincing and rolling around on the floor. The referee thinks that the fact that Grey Maynard is lying still on top of him is a sign that Grey Maynard is dominating this fight. Calls a stop to the fight, and Gray Maynard wakes up to find out he's won.
1: That's hilarious. Well, it's kind of like um, um, uh, Goldberg knocking himself out uh, during the uh, match of DDP at Halloween Havoc by um, like bonking his head on the ground while he was doing the spear. Which you would think he would know how not to do that because it was his (laughs) fucking finisher. Just like the uh, the Lulu pencil, the. Wrestler I mentioned uh, to you d- d- during the break, Zoe, who like her gimmick is she's really shit at wrestling, <laughs> and also really weak and unfit to the point where she'll get gassed, like shouting her own name at the start of the match. And I there- believe
2: the commentator said everything is too hard for Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's,
1: and there's, a, there's a running bit where she'll like tap to her own submission moves because she doesn't know how to do them properly, and she'll end up with her body contorted into a I've got
0: like I own. support her intensely because I think we have all felt at some point that everything is. T- too hard for zoe boyd so like yeah
1: and and and, and she's a freelance video game writer as well so like, it like seems like a kindred spirit um yeah there's like some uh, like a really fucking hard throw ito does as well in this um, fight. Uh, I, I do not speak in japanese but i do pick up the phrase shoot boxing queen uh, from uh, in commentary so that is a. Uh, I'd either a nickname or the name of a nude photo book. Um, and uh, like, there were some really hard leg kicks towards the end of the round to like the point where I almost fear an Anderson silver style leg Ooh. break off your own kick to bring up the spectre of that absolute horror. Uh,
2: Sorry, I feel like I've seen video of that. So you've
1: not seen... Oh, yeah. No, basically, he kicks his opponent in the leg and his own leg just goes like, you know, like Psycho SIDS when he comes uh, off the top rope.
3: uh, That was was the first UFC fight I ever actually sat down and watched. Amazing. Oh, my God. And, like, I still hear the scream. It's a scream, like, because Anderson Silva was always very much... But I remember actively, like, he was this imperious fighter who... Would never like never flap and stuff like that, and then hearing a scream from him of his leg just in like two bits is honestly blood curdling. Oh, it's, 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 it's
0: like seeing your dad crying. Like
3: <laughs> it really is. It really is. And it's the, it's yeah.
0: the wobbling around. Like I've heard it described as like a sock full of pate, and I couldn't. Aww. <laughs> Oh, to me, like, that was so. I I, uh, I was a huge Fader Emilianenko fan um, back in the day when I first started watching mixed martial arts, first got into martial arts in general. And I was just such a big fan. And then he lost for the first time uh, against uh, Fabricio Vadum. And I was crushed. And I told myself I wouldn't do that again with a fighter. And then I did it again with Anderson Silva. And and I was, so, I was going into that fight thinking, he's going to win this one. He's got to win this one. He's the best fighter in the world. And he snapped his own leg in half. And that was the day I became an adult.
1: Like, I've been jaded and cynical ever
0: since had not he basically
1: lost to this bloke before? Because he was fucking. Oh yeah, yeah. He
0: got knocked out, but because he was being a knob.
1: Oh, he's taking it seriously now. Oh, his 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 leg is passé. Yeah. Sock full of passé sounds like something uh, Heston Blumenthal would serve. Up, uh, <laughs> I was going to think that was the same year as Chelsea's Sonnen's manky little toe when it was kind of bent. Oh yeah, it got dislocated. Ugh. Ugh. Good, good, good. A horrifying UFC injuries. Oh that,
0: no, so. that was John Jones's toe, wasn't it? The the idea it was um. John Jones dislocated his own toe, taking Chelsea down. And had I thought Chael Sonnen had a monkey toe at one point. He might that? have done, but it was during the t- Chelsea fight because the, the like Chelsea got immediately annihilated in the first round, but had he survived another 30 seconds longer, it would have gone to the oh, first right. round, and John Jones's dislocated toe would have been revealed, and Chelsea would have won by technicality. <laughs>
1: See this wow. is this is see this is the stuff I live for in terms of uh, in terms of UFC I love I love uh, I love grappling and I love freakish <laughs> Um So uh, getting into getting into round five, um, Ito kind of begins where she le- leaves off at the end of round four with a trip. She's also got a bloody nose at this point, and like Kyoko Hamaguchi's bloody nose in the amateur wrestling contest, I have absolutely no idea how it happened. Um, <laughs> she could have been. Off off uh, one of the many 92 spinning backflips that um, <laughs> Ishimoto was throwing out. Um, uh, Ishimoto manages to pull off a sort of Yuanagi as well um, in this round, which was uh, extremely uh, impressive. I should note at this point, by the way, both fighters are absolutely knackered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: God, yeah.
3: Oh, they're both boss coaches. It's great.
1: Like, Ishimoto's form on the punches, like, which I had previously praised in the earlier round, is now looking very ragged. And Ito actually, like, has really come back into this fight um, as it's progressed, is sort of looking, um, uh, looking very, like, you know... I I, I, I I hesitate to say she's in the ascendancy because he's absolutely sucking wind. They both are at this point. Ito is basically windmilling away and nearly like takes Ishimoto's head off with a back fist. But like um, at the moment, we are very much regressing in terms of uh, technique
0: more into the sort of stuff you were seeing in the kickboxing fights. Yes. Yeah. Credit where credit's due, though. At no point do either of these women think, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to maybe like hang back a bit and not throw everything with every shot. They are just going oh, for yeah. each other.
1: I, 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 st- I still think my favourite uh, MMA fight ever is... Um, it was um, uh, Diego Sanchez versus uh, Gilbert Melendez. Uh, oh, God, the, yeah. Actually, actually, on the undercard of that uh, same... Of the Cain uh, Velasquez-Ginidad uh, yeah, Sanchez fight, yeah. Yeah earlier but like and that is like purely because they went at it so hard and even by the end of the of the round as the bell rings for the for the for the third round they're still just full-on nailing each other in the face <laughs> to standing to toe. it's got this real visceral thing about it and I I feel that this fight really captures the essence of that uh Diego Sanchez Gilbert Melendez fight
2: I think by this point this is at this point the crowd has actually gone I feel like you kept yes. the you you kept the the crowd were at the start, they were still quite high from seeing Miu Yamamoto win, and you know and they were quite they were quite they, they were into this at the start, but what I was saying before about them just not really not really being into this and not really getting what's going on by this this is the point where you can really feel that I think, so you know the the fighters are definitely giving it everything, but I don't feel like that I don't feel like the audience is necessarily with them
1: no they're not getting the love from the crowd that you would imagine uh they were I mean yeah we've got like a shoot shoot boxer who I imagine was not hugely well known to the crowd versus a sort of uh lower mid carder whereas yeah before you had like top Japanese amateur wrestling stars like world champions etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah I mean I, I got a lot more enjoyment out of this fight than I did the kickboxing I think it's um partially because of the addition of elements of uh, of MMA that I like more. In, in terms of the throws and the clinches and uh, and, uh, and stuff like that, and uh, I I think yeah there was the the rounds being longer a bit it meant they were absolutely fucks at the end but they uh, there was a bit more to it and um, also had this like kind of narrative with Ishimoto dominating early on and then Ito getting back into it more with her throws so I I, I, I had quite quite a decent time uh, watching this I have to I have to say like uh, when I saw it was fifteen minutes I was like, oh fucking hell but um, <laughs> like yeah actually so you seem less uh, less enthused than, than I.
2: Yeah, I, I think it, it just kind of goes back to what I was saying before about the fact that I then uh, and and so Zoe was talking with the last fight about how fights have a narrative and that previous kickboxing match just kind of didn't really change. It didn't really have one. I feel like by this point I was I think my problem is that I'm I'm too pro wrestling. <laughs> I feel like honestly, like and I think one of the I I, I I just couldn't get into this. Like I felt like it didn't have quite the same ebb and flow that kind of gives Wrestling, such a, a a kind of impact that I'm looking for. So honestly, a lot of this just leaves me a bit cold, and that's really strange to me because I did actually quite in because I I enjoy watching a good MMA fight. As oh well. yeah, I mean, but I feel like uh, maybe I go into that with different expectations, or maybe it's actually the fact that it's a mixture of so many different things is. that it's actually it's more varied and it's more fun to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we had a fantastic time watching that uh, uh Yeran uh, Weili Shang fight. Uh, albeit that was one of the greatest fights of all time. That was incredible. <laughs> well, I this had a is hell definitely not yeah. So Certainly, this is not a bias against combat sports on either of our parts
2: yeah i think this is i think ultimately this is just me kind of it's not for me really no. but it does also beg the question of was this for the actual <laughs> audience of big egg wrestling universe either because w- when you bought your ticket for I... this is this what you were expecting because these four shoot fights kind of last for like probably over an yeah. hour it, yeah of, of your ten and a half hour wrestling show like Was this anybody's highlight?
1: Yeah, it's not called Big Egg Wrestling and Shootboxing and Kickboxing and Amateur Wrestling and whatever that Indian uh, uh, stuff was, uh, like, universe, you know.
3: Indian child-fighting universe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's, um, you know, Angar TV universe. But, like, um, yeah, it's... um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, uh, Zoe, did you, did you like keep a score for this, or like, I'm did really you, who did you have winning it?
0: I had Ishimoto winning it. I didn't go back uh, and analyze it because Ishimoto did win it, so I was vindicated immediately uh, and, and, and didn't have to <laughs> do sure. obsessive amounts of data analysis to prove that I was right. Um, but I, 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 I think I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I can completely see, like you were saying, Sarah, it's hard to get your head in this. If you're expecting pro wrestling but you need different kind of mindsets to approach but because I, I i like myself a bit of pro wrestling but if if a ufc card stopped in the middle so that the undertaker could fight kane again that shows how dated my wrestling knowledge is but <laughs> Long they're still the, brother, the <laughs> they're, both still, they're both still wrestling to various extents kane is uh, a kane, mayor
1: kane, and, and, and kane is
3: wrestling with coronavirus mask legislation <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: And jobbing to it. <laughs> yes,
3: satire, satire. Welcome to Mot the Week.
0: Um... Welcome to the new BBC yeah. right wing comedy. Yeah. Sorry, you're saying. In terms of who this is for, is it purely for the promotion? Is it just like from your? Is it is it yeah. so that they can go look? Our wrestlers are legitimate.
1: I think it absolutely is. I think it, oh, yeah. it's the person it is for is Kairi and her long term. Position on the card. Uh, it's. I mean, but she
2: doesn't directly profit from this. She doesn't get into the the martial arts title fight that happens in in 1996. No, I mean, that's... if anything, is this just a way of partially? This might be just that they're trying to reintroduce the idea of a martial arts element of uh, yes. the company uh, so that and, they can try and bring those uh, in, and but... and
1: then the owners kind of st- stop doing it to focus on losing loads of money in real in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think probably ito would have based on this performance because um uh my understanding is uh based purely on what the announcer was saying that this was a split decision in ishimoto's favor
3: yeah yeah so uh, the scores were 49 47 to ishimoto 49 47 to kaoru 50 48 to ishimoto
1: okay So, yeah, I I think I think it was a close fight. I think a split decision was probably fair. I had Ito winning just about. But like, again, with the carryout, I know nothing. So like, don't don't uh, don't pay any attention to that. Yeah, I I think you're right. It's like the it's the old thing of um, our wrestlers are, uh, you know, this is what strong style was. You know, it isn't a type of of wrestling. It's certainly not twatting people. Uh, But what it is is the idea that wrestling literally is a strong star. So this is why Inoki would, at the time, there was fuck-all money in martial arts. So he could bring over, uh, like, a karateka who is at the end of their career and say, you know, do you want to earn, like, $200,000 by jobbing to me in a wrestling match? Yes, I very much do, Inoki-san. So, um, you know, by by the 90s, you're getting towards the point where, like, uh mma and like various combat sports are becoming a little bit more popular and like you may- maybe you have the opportunity to make some money out of it you can't necessarily get away with doing a work so maybe it's enough at the time that um you know you put a wrestler in and they look competitive against a fighter i mean just just look at what that um uh fight against don fry did for yoshihiro takiyama's career he never won an mma fight but like he he he, he was very much good at like wailing away on people and getting pounded in the face in return like he he lost so that it fight it
2: made him look legit yeah. and that helped with his pro wrestling career. yeah he
1: lost to Don Fry and that made him a megastar you know so I guess it's the same sort of thing on a smaller scale um here just being in the ring with uh someone like that and um in you know, a fair play to Ito she didn't have the big size advantage that uh, Makawa had over uh Sugar Miyuki I think she did well in this fight and I, I think she if she didn't warrant the victory, she at least warranted being uh, in the running and like one of the judges certainly felt like she uh, warranted the victory.
3: I think uh, one thing I would say is that, as well, This is a 10 and a half hour event, I, I don't necessarily think if you took off these matches and the amateur matches and the weird Indian child fighting, that they would have just went, all right, we'll have an eight and a half hour show. No, they'd have put on another two hours of Joshi matches. It is another, yeah, another colour of paint on the palette. So, to yeah, speak, yeah. And it's going to be 10 and a half hours of wrestling matches. We've been in the middle where you're like, oh, what? A shoot boxing match? What the fuck is a shoot boxing match? What, the, what is this? Yeah.
1: Like, yeah, I mean, they're proving like, god, god damn it, we've hired the Tokyo Dome for the day and we're going to get our money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely certain uh, that was it. So, yeah, that basically brings us to the. I should add that Ishimoto gets a big trophy for winning, but not all my chandelier bits on this, proving that kickboxing is the superior martial art to shoot boxing. <laughs>
2: I think that's the real indicator we were all seeking really.
1: absolutely so that is so yeah i guess that is the caper on a uh, a fun couple of episodes and certainly ones that i was incredibly eager to do just because yeah yeah lo- loads of people talk about um like Minami toyota versus arja kong like uh born versus alundra blaze like the real the real like famous matches yeah everyone knows about those how many people have done a deep dive into the amateur wrestling and shoot boxing <laughs> uh boxing fights
3: I, re- I remember when we started doing this, when we talked to these episodes, you stated, basically said, it's like, you know, these episodes are sort of, nobody's really going to be bothered about the, these episodes in the sense that, you know, they're going to be looking at Minami versus Azure. But I would say that there is a morbid curiosity in the sense that, you know, there's been people who've done dives on the other stuff. This is, I mean, I, I'm fully up front. This genuinely, these are the reason why I wanted to do a big gig. And um, Especially that weird Indian child <laughs> fight. I don't know why. I was just saying, why is this on here? And the fact that they got to, they can now go and say that they wrestled the big egg is, you know. Yeah, exactly. Bad. Like you know, a fight it so kind of a fight
1: so obscure that I had forgotten about its existence until we had recorded half a dozen episodes of the <laughs> podcast already. <laughs> um so yeah that that about uh that about does it so thank you very very much zoe for uh holding our hands through the minefield that was uh, uh japanese combat sports in the 90s before we uh leave we got anything you would like to plug
0: uh well just first of all thank you so much for having me on this has been incredibly fun you can find me on twitter at zoe Transwitch. uh you can find me on twitch at commie zoe i got those two confused uh the other day when i was trying to promote my twitch stream um but yeah, uh, and yeah, thanks again for for letting me be a part of this strange little nugget of combat sports pro wrestling history.
1: No, it's been it's been absolutely fantastic, and thank yeah, thank you so awesome. much for coming on. It's been great uh, great to have you. So, um, Sarah.
2: Yeah. So, um, obviously, once again, thank you to Zoe. When we to. Zoe and I worked together in a a former life and I years and years ago, and I don't think when we were sharing an office that either of us ever thought that in the year of our Lord 2020, we would be asking each other questions like, so is this kickboxing good? (laughs) (laughs) This is not something that I thought was going to happen. But yeah, so this is In terms of my plugs, um, you can follow me on Twitter at sarahparking1, and you can also download on Amazon via Kindle, or you can just straight up buy a copy of a book that I am in, which is called Women Love Wrestling. Um, It's a fantastic anthology of essays about... um, of women's wrestling writing sort of by and about women so it's as much about kind of people's lives in the wrestling industry or you know or what the experience of being a female fan is like and even like the history of sort of women's wrestling as a, as a phenomenon um i'm really proud to have been involved in it um mick Foley um praised it publicly um, but
1: what about what about doodle love catless Jack and mankind? Have they said anything about it? You
2: know what? I think we're still waiting on them, <laughs> but they have got review copies, so hang tight. <laughs> Sent I will one up- to the boys. Opinions you. are unclear. <laughs> I will update you in future episodes. I promise. Um, uh, yeah. So proceeds from the sales of this anthology are going to Rain in the US and Women's Aid in the UK. So really worthy causes. And even if you don't want to buy the book, give them some money. Um, I, I will support you in that respect as well. Um, the other thing that I actually just wanted to plug because a friend of ours is in it is um, so Monstrous Regiment Publishing has um, recently released a book called So Hormonal, which is a fantastic collection of essays um, basically about hormones and the people who live with them. Um, so uh, a friend uh, a friend of ours, um, LJ Gray, they have written a, a really great essay that goes in there as well. And it's just it's really worth your time. And if you have chance, um I would definitely see if you can check that out. Um my copy, I was really excited when it arrived in the post about a week ago. So yeah, um, big up at Illustrated Law on Twitter as well, which is our our friend who is in the book. Um what else was I going to plug? Um, show notes. So we are publishing notes for each of these episodes. Um, you will find the link to the show notes in the episode description for this or in our various Twitter accounts. Um, so that will include sort of links to a lot of the random things we've referenced. I will include links to everything I know about Sugar Yuki and Fumiko Ishimori in the hope that you can bolster that. Can, can, can me, you link please? to
1: Fumiko Ishimoto as well?
2: What did I say? shimori
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's yes, late, right. don't worry.
2: <laughs> okay, it's been a very long recording session, folks. Um, but yeah, so I, please, by all means, share that. Um, yeah, and I think for now that that's me. What else have we got to plug?
1: Um, well, David, yeah, you can shoot first.
2: Um,
3: I, uh, you can get me on Instagram at Viano14 because I'm apparently I'm a 19 year old kid. <laughs> um, I run a party festival podcast called Draw Lose, or Draw. Um, to be honest, just using it to try and get media accreditation. Let's be honest, they don't listen to this, so it's fine. Um, you can buy my music at fastbook.bandcamp.com. I have a Joshi tribute album, and as well as that, you can buy Daniel or other comrades who usually is on these podcasts. He's usually with us in the Pure Pre podcast. You can buy his music at Handle and Lament.bandcamp.com. His well, his stuff is better than mine, but I don't know if we agree you know take your pick
1: you should buy both to find out
3: what <laughs> you exactly yeah you should yeah i mean you can pay what you want i mean if you want to give us a grand you know that's that's great you know keeps keeps the electricity going
1: um no th- thank you very much uh, thank you very much david um so you can uh you can find such things including the show notes but also uh, random articles on various uh, aspects of wrestling such as uh well stuff that i've written myself include is antonio and Nokia remainer um, putting the 11 wrestlers on the Ghetto Move roster into a football team and what formation they will play, and uh, recently an article on how NXT used to be good and now it isn't. Um, so you can find all that stuff at com. Um, And you can follow the main podcast if you like this and want uh, more stuff like it, Um, then listen to the Puro Puro podcast. This is at Puro podcast on Twitter. We've uh, done all sorts of episodes about uh, various aspects of Japanese professional wrestling, famous storylines, wrestlers, um, random crap that springs to mind. Football and robot wars as well, just to uh, just to keep your eyes in for that. Um, uh, Christmas specials, one of which was uh, one of which uh, was responded to by one of our friends, who said, and I quote: "I make a point of being supportive to all of my mates in their creative endeavours endeavours however i want you all to know that you should be thoroughly ashamed of yourselves <laughs> um, so do check that out um i myself am the author of a novel called the rise and fall of ricky dozan you can buy that for your kindle on amazon it's um i believe 249 for the kindle edition and uh, 14.99 for a uh, print-on-demand paperback which are printed in poland and shipped to you uh, uh Pretty pretty quickly, actually. Still, uh, even considering uh, the uh, current situation, um, that's pretty much the cheapest I could do it to cover the printing costs. It's a it's a big chunky boy, as our uh, friend uh, Patrick W. Reed has uh, described it. Um, uh, but yeah, so essentially, it's about the uh, the formation of professional wrestling in Japan in the late '50s and early '60s, centered around the figure of Ricky, Ricky Dozan, the former sumo wrestler. Who became not just Japan's biggest wrestling star, but also its biggest sports star and biggest TV star, and about all the things that he got up to, and my protagonist, uh, you know, making his way in the world of professional wrestling and finding what lays beneath the uh, the glittering and glamorous surface. Um, you can also, um, I should also mention actually that this book is currently. Um, just inside the top 3,000 in the uh, sports fiction category on Amazon, making it 19th overall, excluding erotica. So uh, do do bear that in mind. A lot of sports-related erotica I've come to find on Amazon uh, by looking at that. So if that's your bag, then uh, do feel free to pick uh, some of that up as well. And uh, I would add that you don't need to know anything at all about uh Japanese wrestling or indeed wrestling at all to enjoy the novel I've written it um with my with my uh elite writing skills so that you can um enjoy it even if you actually don't know the full thing all the main terms are explained to you but there are little easter eggs uh, for the long-time wrestling fan to uh, get a kick out of it and also just for my personal amusement because why else would you write anything um I um, also am uh have a uh, chapter in a book called The 100 greatest literary detectives i talk about um jasper ford's uh, well quite literally a literary detective thursday next in that she actually goes inside books and does things like um uh, getting um uh, Macy boy from wuthering heights heathcliff that's his name he's ab- he's absconded they need to get him back because otherwise the like people can't read the book without him now to get a stunt double in all stuff like that very weird and wonderful stuff so yes um if you have the uh, slightest interest in uh, detective fiction, uh, do check that out. Speaking yeah.
3: of books, actually, uh, you, um, you should t- check out my uh, top ten Amazon Sport book: My Daughter's Bland erotic fan fiction. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> guys, the plug section of the show notes is going to be so bloody long. <laughs> okay, let, let's limit no more erotica in the plug section. I <laughs> okay. know. I'm sorry. Ooh. Well, have no more plugs left.
1: <laughs> um oh, we'll just have to tweet about it instead. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us on episode eight of uh, Big Egg Podcasting Universe. Episode nine coming up. uh, You'll maybe presumably be pleased or possibly disappointed to find we have left the world of combat sports behind. So uh, thank you very much. I've been uh, George Thompson signing off for Sarah Parkins, Zoe Boyd and David Forrest. Thank you very much. And we'll see you in episode nine.